0: Hi, I'm Anthony Sharon, pastor of First Assembly of God of Greater Lansing, better known as GL First. I hope this message connects you to God's word and his vision for your life. You can find out more about us at glfirst.org. Thank you for joining us and
1: enjoy this week's message.
0: Um, I'm looking forward to this morning. You may have noticed that things look a little different up here again. That Pastor and AJ and I are both up here because we're going to uh, team preach this morning through the book of Third John, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it over to him a moment. But I was I was talking to the worship team backstage, and one of the things that I really hope this is today is you guys don't get to see this because you're not here during the week, but among the staff members we have some really incredible conversations uh, around scripture and around spiritual topics. And it's almost, we've talked about this before, we wish we had somebody following us when these things happen um, because they're great for us and we know they'd be a blessing to other people, um, but unfortunately none of us are interesting enough to have our own documentary. So that doesn't happen. So I'm excited because that's what I really hope happens here today is because we've taken a few weeks Mm-hmm. And we we've talked through the book of Third John, and forgive me if I slip and call it John three every now and then. I've, <laughs> I've already talked to Pastor AJ about this. Um, I feel weird saying First John, Second John, Third John. 13. I like to say John first, but that is that is what's going on here today. Um, Pastor Anthony had a wedding this week in Pennsylvania. He uh, he drove right into the remnants of Hurricane Ida. And I uh, was talking about all the rain he saw. He is okay. I spoke with him Friday morning. Um, none of the storms or anything that were spawned by that affected him. Um, and he got to perform his cousin's wedding in Philadelphia this weekend. So he'll be back with us next week. But that is why we are filling in here today. And I'm, uh, I am know we've said this probably a hundred times by now, but I'm
1: excited yes, about this. Right. So
0: uh, let's get going.
1: All right. Yeah, so this will be a team preaching. So while one person is uh, speaking, the other person will roll their eyes and sarcastically comment. Um, most likely. That's right. So 3 John. 3 John is uh, perhaps the most personal of John's um, three epistles. Well, 1 John appeared to be a general letter addressed to congregations scattered throughout Asia Minor. Um, and 2 John was sent to a lady and her family. In 3rd John, the epistles clearly names the role recipient as the beloved Gaius. Now, 2nd John is about the message against hospitality, so it's against hospitality towards false teachers. While 3rd John is encouraging on hospitality towards ministers. Now we sometimes take hospitality in the wrong way, right? We take hospitality, we entertain, uh, we entertain people that do not deserve to be entertained. Hence why we listen more about bad news than good news. And being in a youth ministry, I notice this all the time. Young girls are more attracted to so-called bad boys. Right? Like bad boys and like, yeah. And and it's awkward because they're like, you're a sixth grader. You know? Like what kind of bad boy thing do you do? It's like, I sleep 10.01. My bedtime is 10 o'clock. Like I don't I don't want to show off but when I ride my bicycle I don't use the training wheels. I'm so bad boy. Like when I play Wii I don't wear the you know the safety strap. I press the handicap button for doors and I'm not even in handicap. Like that's the that's an example of being a bad boy. We give wrong impressions to the right people and the best impressions to the wrong people. Right? Now, as I was gathering my sermon, I couldn't help thinking about a story of a little girl who was home. Um, She was sick and alone. She called her mother at work. And she said, Mama, I need you, and I need you really bad. Now, this mother asked to get off work and frantically rushed down to the corner drugstore and bring home some medicines. She noticed um, it was beginning, she notices that it's beginning to rain but she thought she would just run in and run out to get the medicine for her sick little girl. When she came back to her car, she noticed something quite different. You guessed it, she had locked her keys in the car. Now she ran inside to get help from the employees, but none of them, none of them seemed to know what to do and finally gave her a a clothes hanger and said, good luck. She ran back to her car, frantically trying to get the door open. The more she tried, the, hum- the harder it rained, and suddenly it came down, what we call an old-fashioned gully washer. I don't know what that means. I just It's it. raining a lot. Yeah, it's raining a lot. That's one of the words that I don't understand, like raining cats and dogs. The first time I read raining cats and dogs, I'm like, wait, is it really? Like, what's happening? Is that an American thing? Um, out, of de- out of desperation, she cried out, Lord, I need your help, and I need you right now. Suddenly, an old pickup truck pulled right next to her. She looked up and saw this man approaching her. He was dirty and had a do-rag on top of his head with scars and tattoos all over his body, one in which you wouldn't want to come across, especially alone. Without thinking, now she embraced this man and said, Sir, could you possibly help me? My daughter is sick at home. I locked my keys in the car. Within a minute or two, this man successfully unlocked her car. Out of joy, she grabbed this man, giving him a hug, and said, you're such a nice man. The man pushed her away and said, no ma'am, I am not. You see, I, ha- I have just escaped from prison, and I steal cars for a living. Without any he- hesitation, this woman looked up toward the heaven and said, thank God for sending a professional. <laughs> we give Wrong impressions to the right people and the right impression to the wrong people. Now this brings us to third John. What is John talking about in this last and most intimate and personal letter of John?
0: Now, so second and third John, they're, they're really paired together. Second um, John and third John, they both talk about the nature of truth, the nature of love, and how they, they go together. You know, that we always tell, that was one of our rules in kids' church, is that, you know, okay, how did this go? Our kids' church rules, the first rule was no pokey, no touchy. So keep your hands to yourself. Second rule was speak the truth in love. Because sometimes, I don't know if you've ever talked to a child, but sometimes children aren't so kind. They can be very blunt because they have not learned that there are things they're not supposed to say yet. Some adults have that too. So they're still growing that. But 2 John and 3 John teach us that love and truth are best when they go together. They do best when they go together. And I think we can all agree that they are also two qualities that are best cultivated within a Christian community, and they help us identify each other. Um, Jesus tells us in John 13, 35, that by this saying love for each other. All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Where John, 2 John and 3 John are different is this. 2 John really stresses truth over love. It stresses both protecting truth and practicing it. So in the letter John writes, in 2 John, he really wants people to live in truth to really be in the truth. When he gets to 3 John, all of a sudden he's stressing love. And I, I agree with Pastor AJ. We, we talked about this. It's easily, of John's three letters, it's his most personal. Um, I would even go as far to say as it's one of the most personal letters that we get in the New Testament. Um, it deals with specific conflicts and the people who were involved in them. Um, Second John communicates the centrality of love to the practice and the protection of truth again, but third John really gives us these specific examples of what it looks like to not only be in the truth but to walk in the truth and to tie love to it and what it really looks like and have it result in real love and real hospitality and real caring. Um, we decided there were, there were, we broke it out into four groups of verses. Uh, we're going to start with verses one through four, which are really, we decided are centered around community. Um, and it says this, this is 3 John verses one through four. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health, even as your soul is well. For I greatly rejoiced when brothers came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So many of the New Testament letters that Paul wrote, that we see John, uh, Peter, all these people wrote letters. And we see them that they're written to local churches. They're either written to specific people that are written to local churches. A church should add value and be a part of their community. And I think that's interesting because when we talk about community, so many times we mistake what community is. We think community is the organizations and structures set up around us. We talk about schools, uh, we talk about businesses, uh, we talk about governments, even. Those are frameworks that community is built in. They're not actually real community. What is real community? It's people. It's you and I. Um, As somebody who watches way too many um, like end of the world movies, uh, we've learned that without the people, the buildings don't matter. Without the people, the structures that we have put in place are just nothing. It's the people that make those things communities. And I think it's interesting when we look at it that these letters, especially Paul's letters, they're titled as they are written to people. We have Corinthians, Romans, Galatians. They're written to the people of the communities, they're not written to the city. Um, Paul didn't write 1st and 2nd Corinth, he didn't write Rome or Galatia. He wrote to the people there. See, community and the church of Jesus are intertwined. We can't separate them. You can't thrive spiritually without the community of Christ. And the church cannot operate without its community in it. They don't, they don't work separately. You can't have one without the other. And community is at the very heart of 3rd job. In verse 2, John makes this statement uh, that you may in good health. Now, that sounds like a very polite greeting. Um, A lot of people discount the openings and the closings of the epistles because they're just like somebody saying hello, somebody saying goodbye. There's there's really nothing spiritual about that. But there is. When we get to the original meaning of some of these words, in, in the Greek, in this, that you may be in good health, it's a phrase that is one Greek word, and the word used here is you do. And it means to have a good journey and to be led along a good road. Not just saying hello. And can I say something? To be led, you can't be by yourself. Nobody walks down a road being led by themselves. That means someone is walking with you. Yes, it's Jesus. Yes, it's the Holy Spirit. But it's also you and me. We're part of our journeys together. Our walk in truth is supposed to be one of relationship and one of community. John also says something in verse 2 that he says, even as your soul is well. So our journeys, our spiritual well-being is tied to our journey together and the relationships and the communities that we build along the way. You see God's presence in our lives, in your life, in my life is directly related to the health and prosperity of our spiritual lives. We we say this all the time. You you say you can't hear God? Do you know his voice? How much time do you spend reading the Bible? How much time do you spend in prayer? Jesus said it himself, my, my sheep recognize my voice. Do we recognize the voice of God? Do we know how we're being led? And I know prosperity, depending on the circle you're in, can be a cuss word. Um, we've, we have uh, taken, taken the time to recognize that there is some bad theology and some bad doctrine and some bad preaching around prosperity. But here, we are not talking financial prosperity. We're talking spiritual prosperity. Growth spiritually within God. And that, I, I don't think there's anything, I, I can't say anything bad about that. <laughs> if you got anything? Um, but what it means when it's applied to our lives is that we're prospering spiritually, and relationally and we're having our needs met and when it does come to material and financial prosperity I I wrote this down I better read it so I read it right Um, I'll talk about this later not right now but one of the things is this that uh, you know God desires that we're taken care of do you believe that? That God doesn't desire that you lack, that you are in need. Um, In fact, God desires that you have an abundant, overwhelming life to the point where you have such abundance that when other people are in lack, you can help take care of them. God's material blessings, his prosperity blessings, are not so that you can be prosperous and blessed, but are actually so that you can do the work that God has laid out. Yes, he wants you taken care of. Yes, he wants to meet your needs, but he also wants us to be able to meet the needs of others. And I wrote this, is we need to trust God to supply our needs. But that doesn't mean that we won't have times of need. And that's why we've got to have community right. and why we've got to be together because um One of the things that the most important part are the helps that we receive from each other. The the things that we are able to help each other out. Um, Believe it or not, when I was 18, I weighed 258 pounds. Pure muscle, (laughs) right? 258 pounds, I had just graduated high school, um, finished my senior year with track, um, I threw shot and disc, so I had finished my last weightlifting regimen and had managed, even though I knew I was never going to play sports again, organized, to put on 15 more pounds in my spring uh, semester at high school at East Lansing. Woo! Yeah. Go Trojans. Yeah, that's right. Um, sorry, everybody else. <laughs> But, uh, so I left high school, and I was, I was uh, not to be a, a bragger, I was strong. I was 255 plus pounds, could bench press over 300, and could squat over four. I, I, was, uh, I was strong. Um, Nolan Edwards, who used to be our music minister that year, um, I walked into the church, and I was wearing shorts, and he started making fun of me because he said my calves were bigger than his head. (laughs) And so, but I remember that when I left high school, I went and got a job. And I was working at Office Max when it was over in Okemos. And I was introduced to this concept in training called team lifting. As an 18-year-old, basically, if you don't know what team lifting is, team lifting means this, if it weighs more than 50 pounds, you get someone to help you move it. I thought that was funny. 50 pounds, two people. It requires two people to move something that weighs 50 pounds. 50 pounds was no problem. So I I was 18, I was strong. I could pick up a 50 pound paper box and walk it up a 15 foot airplane ladder and set it up on top of the racks, no problem. That's a a letter-sized box of paper weighs about 50 pounds. I could pick up a case of legal-sized paper and do the same thing. That's about 65 pounds. Um, But then one day, I got called up front because somebody sold a desk, and they said, can you go get this desk out of the back because there's nobody in the furniture department. So I walked back there, and I discovered that there were things in my store that weighed more than 50 pounds that weighed more than 60 pounds, because this person had decided that they needed a desk that came in three boxes, and each box weighed about 125 pounds each. Now, if you gave me 125 pounds at that time on a barbell, no problem, I've got it. We're talking a box that is six feet tall, four feet wide, and about four inches thick. It's not so easy to pick up. I mean, yes, I will admit, I've got little arms, okay? I can't get my arms around big things. So, I thought to myself, all this time, team lifting is for wimps. All these guys asking for help, they just don't want to work hard. And, you know, here I am. I'm showing off. I wish I didn't now. Now I've got back problems, shoulder (laughs) problems, everything else. But like I said, I was 18 strong, and I forgot to mention I was dumb at the time, too. Um, So when I got to that box, I tried to pick it up. I moved it, but I couldn't pick it up. So I had to call a coworker, and together we picked up. We team lifted the box we were able to accomplish together what I couldn't do alone. The church, as a community, has to team lift. The burdens become lighter, your troubles become less wearisome, the work becomes less, and we accomplish together what we can't do alone. And that's the truth of our spiritual community and journey is that it is together. It requires us to have faith in God, to trust in Him, to rely on the Holy Spirit for guidance, but it also requires each and every one of us, those of you who are here, those of you who are at home, it requires each and every one of us to walk alongside each other, and when necessary, to team lift those things that we can't handle alone. Has anybody ever gone through something you knew you couldn't handle alone? I have, and I'm glad I had the church and, and the people in the church to help me through those things. I, th- I think what's great in this, too, is that John, when he's talking about truth, and as, as a pastor and as somebody who's worked with young people, you probably get this, too. I have been, now, speaking of youth convention, um, somebody asked me yesterday how old I am. I was at a wedding, and they asked me how old I am um, because they noticed I have white hairs, in my beard. And I said, well, how old do you think I am? And they were like, 36. I was like, I'll take it. I'm 41. I'm 41 years old, and I worked in youth ministry for 14 years. I am now to the point where I have students who not only are starting to graduate college, but I have students who are getting married and having kids, and I keep seeing their weddings. So I, have, uh, I did the math between growing up and being a youth pastor and a youth leader. I have done 19 youth conventions. Wow. It is my greatest joy to see my former students living out their faith and walking in truth. I'm glad that John points this out here because I as a pastor, I as a parent, I as somebody in the church, can I tell you, when I have investment in somebody spiritually and I see them loving Jesus and following him, there's no better feeling. There's nothing. And that's not something reserved for us as pastors. Um, I can tell you there are people here who have sown into my life as a child or as an adult, who I hope that, you know, I can say you can say the same thing, that when I walk faithfully, it gives you joy. That you worked as a Sunday school teacher, or you worked in the nursery, and you see kids that grew up, and they're walking, and it gives you joy. First transition,
1: let's we'll see how awkward this is. In verse 3, if you guys go to um, Third John, in verse 3 we see that it says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. John was considered as the elder of this church, and you can see that in verse 1. And now as an elder, his influence, title, and anointing is well known to a lot of people. So any information about anybody will make a big impact on the community. Now, one main thing that divides people and breaks community is gossiping. Now, I'm not just talking about saying bad things amongst each other um, about someone, but more of a telling your pastor about something that you weren't sure if it's true just to get them in trouble. The he said, she said. Now, gossiping is not new in the New Testament. John is not the only one who had to deal with these kind of stuff. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Besides that, they learned to be idler, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossiping, or gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. Romans 1, 30-32, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, um, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve, deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, according to my uncle, Oxford, <laughs> gossip is a casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people. Typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. Now, isn't it crazy that gossiping typically connects to negative information? Right? It's always about negative information. We never hear people gossiping about good things that have happened to someone's lives. Right? Like we don't hear, like, we don't hear this kind of conversation, people gossiping. You don't hear, well, I heard you got promoted at work well, bet she worked really, really hard. You don't hear that kind of gossip. Or you don't hear, did you know her kids? Her kid got kicked out of school? It makes sense. I mean, he's always been so smart. He's practically a genius. He deserved that. Usually gossiping connects to negative connotation, negative conversation. That's one thing that breaks the community. And we see that in um, verse 3, that... The brothers went up to John and told him about good things. Testified the truth and the good things that's happening in the church. In verse 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Community is uplifting each other. Say it with me. Community is uplifting each other. Now if we should say it again. let's say it again that's right let's say it again community is uplifting each other that's right I kind of messed up the uplifting but that's fine Um, now we treat each other the way we treat our kids or co-workers we are only present when they mess up Mm. like our kids we we'll only pay attention to them when they messed up, when they did something bad. And no wonder why we're wondering why they're always doing something bad. Maybe because they want your attention. There's this new lingo um, around kids. There's a lot of lingo, slang words that kids came up with. Some, A lot of them don't make any sense. But there's one lingo um, that we use, a name for people. That just can't mind their own business. But instead of helping other people, they cause problems and drama. You guys know what that name is? What's that? I heard you. What would you say? Menace, okay. We have a name, like a person's name. We call him Karen, right? We call him Karen. Now Uh, I feel
0: bad. One second. So if your name's Karen, I don't think we have any Karens in the sanctuary. If you're online and you're watching and your name's Karen... I'm sorry. Um, he's young. He's a youth pastor. Yes. Um, but I didn't come up with this. This is like the you know whole... what the, the male equivalent yeah. of what? a Karen is a Chad. A Chad.
1: A Chad. <laughs> sorry. Now I feel bad for people named Karen because they didn't. They it's not, that's not their fault. Ironically, ironically, Karen is a Danish name meaning pure or clear. Now, I don't know who coined this name, but it exists. People call other people who are mean, can't mind their own business, and just don't help people, Karen. A lot of people don't want to be around Karens. Karens do not like fun and positivity. They don't like people laughing, smiling, talking, walking, breathing, or they just don't like people. These people cannot stand people having good things in their lives and much rather see them suffer just to satisfy themselves. This is what we call jealousy or envy. Jealousy is both reasonable and belongs to reasonable men, it says here, while envy is base and belongs to the base. For the one makes himself get good things by jealousy while the other does not allow his neighbor to have them through envy. In in verse four, I have um, John said. You got to remember, John, when he wrote this, is in Patmos. He was um, he was exiled. He was probably suffering, but he said, "I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth." Aristotle said, "We tend to show up to people when they are in trouble, and also drag them down when they seem to be higher than us. We want to build community." Either in status, opinions, lifestyles, characters, and even Christian living. If you want to build community, we shouldn't drag each other down. Amen. In the Philippines, we have this thing called crab mentality. It's a common thing among, among Filipinos. Crab mentality is, have you guys like caught a ton of crabs and you put them in buckets? Right? Some of the crabs will try to crawl out, and what's the other crabs going to do? They're going to pull them down. No. If we're all in the bucket, if I'm in the bucket, you're in the bucket. No one's getting away. Instead of helping each other up, they drag each other down. And that's not a community. This is what John is telling us about. Rejoice with people when they are doing good. This will build a stronger community. So the first one is community. The second one is teamwork second point is teamwork. In verse 5, it says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. Now, there was a time in our lives that we called the people from church as brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Remember this. In the Philippines, we still call each other brothers and sisters in Christ, not in English, but in our language. Um, Rather than my churchmate or he, she goes to our church. That's more common now. We looked at other people that go to our church and we don't call them brothers and sisters in Christ. We call them, you go to my church. Now this verse is talking about a missionary and ministers that Gaius took care of. That though they are strangers, but because of the authenticity of the messages that they preach, they consider them as fellow workers for the truth. Fellow workers for the truth. In return, these missionaries said good things about them to John now I've seen I've seen with my own eyes I've witnessed this our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ only exists when we are in the church like when we see them in the store or walking down the road we pretend we didn't see them or sometimes walk the other way just to avoid them we preach and talk about loving sinners and accepting them for who they are. But if it's our brothers and sisters, we do not give them any leeway. We don't talk to them. When was the last time you called your brothers and sisters in Christ? In verse 7, it says, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Accepting nothing from Gentiles. John is talking about non-Christians. The Gentiles part. He's talking about non-Christians. These workers did not solicit anywhere else. They are asking Christians for their support. This is not for their own sake, but for our sake. We are a team, right? This is a teamwork. We are a team. God is clear about this. When you bless the saints or the workers of Christ, you will be blessed. In Hebrews chapter six verse 10, he says, "For God is not unjust." As to overlook your work and the love you have shown for His name in serving the saints, as you still do. Philippians chapter four, verse sixteen to eighteen. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once, once and again. Not that I seek the gift. gift I'm sorry, gift, but I seek the fruit that increases for your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from that name the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In Matthew 10, 40, 42, it's the same thing. God doesn't want non-Christian to receive the blessing. This is, why, this is why John emphasized this. He didn't have to say that. He didn't have to say, these missionaries didn't accept anything from the Gentiles, but he had to say it. And this is why, I think this is why he said this. He had to emphasize the people of the church that you need to give to your missionaries and to your ministers. It's because of this. God doesn't want non-Christian to receive the blessing. Blessing applies not just to Christians, but to non-Christians too. The blessing of marriage applies to non-Christians and Christians too. We believe that, right? That if you give, no matter if you're a Christian or not, you're still going to receive the blessing. And when, when, when John said that they didn't, they didn't solicit, they didn't, ask, um, they didn't ask Gentiles for support, John is telling them that I want you guys to receive the blessing, not them. God doesn't want non-Christian to receive the blessing that comes from blessing and supporting his workers. He wants us to take it. He wants us to take it by blessing them ourselves. This is, uh, this is for our sake, not theirs. That's fine.
0: Leave it. Okay. So, I guess we can all agree on one thing here. Um, If you've noticed, what has happened? Really, it's not it's not Corona. It's not a political season. This has happened slowly over the last fifteen years. Um, Kindness has seeped out of our world. There is a lot of unpleasantness. A lot of people, we don't treat each other with respect or dignity. It seems to just have gone out the window completely. I wish I was just talking about outside the church, but even within the church, we struggle a lot with this. We struggle a lot with it. And it's something we shouldn't, like you said. Not that, you know, brothers and sisters, not that we don't have sibling rivalries, um, I'm the youngest of nine, I can tell you right now. I did not always get along with my brothers and sisters. So as wonderful as I am, they didn't always think that. Um, but now we have, we have politics, vaccines, masks, social justice, climate change, and a host of other ideologies and concepts that we have let divide us and cause strife and resentment within the church Now, I'm not speaking on the validity of any of them. I'm not speaking for or against any of them. I am simply saying we have let things divide us that should not divide us. We don't always act like a loving community. And this problem isn't new. This is what John is dealing with in this letter. I mean, John, he's talking here about treating missionaries well. He really is. Making sure they're cared for and provided for. And I stand up here once a month and tell you how proud and excited I am to be a part of a church that supports missions. That supports boots on the ground missionaries all over the world. Here in our community, other nations, other continents. That is one of my greatest joys in this church, being part of this staff, of being part of this team. Knowing that, because some of these people are my friends, some of these people are people I grew up with, knowing that they're cared for, knowing that their needs are being met while they're doing the work of God is amazing. Like you said, God doesn't want this blessing to go to others. He wants us to take care of our own. He wants us to grab a hold of that blessing that is supporting missions, that is supporting the work of God, um, both financially and prayer. That's right. That's right. There's, a, there's a specific, and, and he says, John says, do it in a manner worthy of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about that, that phrase, a manner worthy of God. God shows up at your house And he says, I'm hungry. Let's just... God got hungry, okay? He's hungry. What are you going to do? Are you going to roll out the hamburger helper? It depends which one it is. If it's the four cheese lasagna, God will accept it. If it's the beef stroganoff, he's, he's not happy with your offering. So... But, yeah, But you are not God. <laughs> His standards are higher. Um, he's talking about doing this in a manner worthy of God. There is specific application to missionaries in this verse and in the, in these verses. But there's also a principle for all of us here. How are we supposed to treat each other? How are we supposed to receive each other? In a manner worthy of God of God. We're supposed to love each other. That's right. If we don't, you don't agree on uh, mask mandates, treat each other in a manner worthy of God. You have a political difference, treat each other in a manner worthy of God. That's right. You're a University of Michigan fan. <laughs> Yay! I'm sorry. Love covers a multitude of sins, and I'm going to treat you in a manner worthy of God. Go state. I just want to point this out. Everybody's excited. Everybody yesterday on ESPN was like, Michigan beat Western Michigan. Woo! It's Western Michigan. I lived in Kalamazoo, okay? It's not a big deal. It's Western Michigan. It's a MAC team. Michigan State just stomped a Big Ten opponent. Jesus is a Spartan fan. I mean, most of the New Testament is written in Greek, so we'll go with that. So, but you know, when we devalue or we undervalue our brothers and sisters in Christ because of differences, let me tell you this: Satan rejoices. Satan rejoices, and I don't know about you. I don't like the idea of Satan rejoicing. That ruins my image of Satan. Um, I don't want to think of him being happy about something. Sowing division, breaking the bonds of community, these are things that our true enemy delights in. There is not a man or woman on this earth or child who is your enemy. Our true enemy is Satan. And he wants to sow division. He wants to steal and kill and destroy These are the things that he delights in. The fact that he can create smoke screens out of temporary issues and gets us to take our eyes off of eternity and off of each other, he's laughing. He's laughing somewhere. All those things I listed plus many other issues. I mean, that list is inexhaustible. Um, They may seem important right now. They are, I, I agree. A lot of those things are very important right now. They are at the forefront of our society. They're on our mind. They seem important now. You know why they seem important now? Because that's where we live, is right now. It's hard for us who live just now To think about eternity. Eternity is a concept we can't wrap our heads around yet. We can try, but it's hard. They are important, but they are not the most important. Salvation and eternity with God are our hope. We cling to that hope. The hope that we use to work together to walk together to proclaim the good news that Jesus saves together it's not a matter if it, if it's not a matter of salvation is it worth alienating each other over what really got this principle pulled in and folks speech it was verse 8 john writes that we might be fellow workers of the truth you see this point is teamwork the mission of the church is not the missionaries' work. Yes, missionaries go abroad, they spread the gospel, they learn new languages, new customs, as to be part of the communities they minister in. We are to receive them and send them in a manner worthy of God. By the way, September 19th is not just Back to Church Sunday, we also have a missionary here that day. So come to church, get donuts, have lunch, meet a missionary. It's going to be fantastic. We are to receive missionaries in a manner worthy of God, a manner that is excellent, loving, honoring, and respectful. Because missions is not their work. It is our work as a community, as a team. Every Sunday... When you walk into this church and somebody greets you, if you are not greeted in a good way, I want to know. Anybody. Because you walk in this building, you are to be received as a manner worthy of God. Every single person. And I'm confident that you are greeted with a smile and hopefully a handshake. And if you're comfortable, a hug. And some people, depending on who's greeting, even if you're not comfortable, it's going to be a hug. Mm -hmm. Sorry. That's just the way it is. Hospitality and love should be shown to all who are in the community of Christ. Because we are all messengers. If we can't show hospitality and love to each other, how are we ever going to actually authentically show it to those who are lost? If if you can't love the people that walk into this door with you every week, and you call like you said, um, they go to church with me, you know your brothers and sisters in Christ, how are you going to respond when somebody radically different than you walks in the building? How are you going to respond when somebody who doesn't fit your social profile walks into the building? We've got to have that love for each other if we ever hope to extend it to other people. The third thing here, verses 9 and 10. I'm sorry, 9 through 12. I wrote something wrong. Truthfulness. This is an important one. We're talking truthfulness. Truthfulness matters because if we're not telling the truth, then what are we doing? 3rd John 9 through 12 says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to put himself first among them, did not accept us. Because of this, if I come, I will bring up what kinds of works he does, ranting against us with malicious words, not content with that, he does not accept the brothers and stops those who want to and throws them out of the church. Just, you know, that would, man, I don't like this part of <laughs> It makes me upset. Beloved, do not imitate that which is evil, but that which is good. Whoever does good is from God, but whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius receives good reports from everyone and from the truth itself. Yes, and we also testify, and you know that our testimony is true. This is the part of 3 John where we get to meet some of the other people. We've already met Gaius, and Gaius is awesome. He's beloved. We meet Diotrephus, and Diotrephus is not a good guy. He's a, John praises Gaius earlier in the letter for his hospitality. Diotrephus is his polar opposite. In fact, John writes about him, about how he loves to be first. He's very inhospitable. One of the main themes in studying 3 John that I picked up on is humility. And this is is where we learn why. You see, we've met Gaius, and Gaius is humble. He receives people. He receives the missionaries, the itinerant speakers. He takes care of them, welcomes them into his home. Humility produces hospitality. Hospitality. But here we meet Diotrephus, and Diotrephes is prideful. He has received a position in the church that has given him pride, and his pride has produced competition and conflict. We talked about Second John and Third John, how they were different. If Second John is dealing with doctrinal errors, problems in the beliefs, and a lack of truth, then Third John is dealing with character errors. Specifically, a lack of love on Diotrephus' part. Glenn Barker writes in the Expositor's Bible Commentary, he says, Diotrephus was condemned not because he violated sound teaching regarding the person and nature of Jesus Christ, but because his life was a contradiction to the truth of the gospel. How you live your life matters. It matters to your relationship with Christ. It matters to your witness. And that's what we're talking about here with Diotrephus. Diotrephus' witness outside of the church, I imagine, was pretty bad. It wasn't so much what he believed that made people mad. It was his behavior. It was how people treated him. We We spent so much time analyzing, tearing apart, doctrine and teachings of people to find errors in their spiritual journey. And I'll tell you the truth, if you dissect anybody enough and what they say and what they write, you're going to find a problem with what they say, because we all are imperfect. Doctrine matters. The truth truth matters. But John isn't doing that here. John is simply looking at Diotrephus and saying, your character is out of line with the character of Christ it doesn't match up see John wasn't accusing Diotrephes of not being of being unsaved but rather that his behavior was like that of an unsaved person and our actions you know our actions reflect our relationship with God um, we tell you know we tell this to our kids parents you tell your kids all this time they're like oh you know I'm not going to do it again then what happens, you know, 30 minutes later, they've done it again. And then 30 minutes later, they've done it again. By the time they've apologized and said they're not going to do it again, you can look at them and say, your actions say you are going to do it again. One of the things I, I always teach my son, Roland, is that people will always judge you on your actions, Expectation of behavior can be, predict- be predicted by your previous actions. If you're always lying to somebody, it's pretty easy to tell that you're probably always going to lie to people. If you are always, in Diotrephis case, in hospital and rude to people, then the prediction of your future behavior is that you are going to be unwelcoming. To everybody. Our actions reflect our relationship with God. And our our hospitality as a community tells people what our community thinks about who God is. John is urging us that we need to imitate that which is good. To, To not imitate the customs of the world, but instead of the faithful around us. And ultimately, Jesus. Remember, it's that community, it's that walk, and it's Jesus. John also gives us a really good example, again, of how to avoid this type of problem. He, he introduces us to Demetrius as well. John has heard good things from everyone about Demetrius. And Demetrius is, it sounds like he's just like Gaius. He receives everybody. He talks to everybody. He's interested in meeting all these people who come through and letting them be taken care of. He lives out the truth of the gospel. Our behavior and our actions matter. When we say we believe one thing, but our behavior is another way or our actions are another way, don't question why your neighbors won't come to church when you spend Sunday singing to God and all the rest of the week cussing at your lawnmower. I hate lawnmowers. I don't cuss at mine. I just hate it. Um, I just want to be clear on that. I'm not swearing at my lawnmower. But uh, don't don't be surprised. I mean, people, can I say this? People really want to know that what you believe is what you believe. And how they know that is by how you live and by how you act. You can't proclaim Jesus out of one side of your mouth. And something else out of the other side. It's not going to work. Now, get ready for this. I've been waiting for this story the uh, whole morning, so.
1: <laughs> Hospitality. Hospitality is the art of making people want to, um, want to stay. I'm sorry. Want to stay without interfering with their departure. Um, you guys know any other Filipinos besides me and my family? Anybody? Yes. Yeah. If, you, um, if you know any Filipinos, one of the things that we take pride of is our, we are hospitable. We are very hospitable to the point that if you go to any um, Filipino houses, we have a set of plates in the cupboard, but we also have a set of plates that is just displayed and nobody can touch it we open it up, we give it, uh, we open it and use it when we have important guests coming in. The kids cannot touch it, nobody can look at it, nobody can, it's wrapped in plastic. Like the whole cabinet, it has a um, glass door and wrapped in plastic, because it's not allowed to be touched, no dust, no nothing, because that's <laughs> only for guests. Right, mom? Yeah, one time I used one of them, <laughs> I opened it and I use it, my mom got so mad at me. So I was like, this looks pretty and nobody uses it. Now it's for our guests. We, we take pride in hospitality. Back in the day when, uh, when Spaniards conquered the Philippines for 300 years, we have this custom that we learned from Spaniards, I would assume, um, about hospitality. We give them, uh, if you want your guests to come back or if you don't want the guests to come back, we have this univer not universal, national notion thing that we do. If you give them hot chocolate, and if the hot chocolate is really, really sweet, that means you want the visitor to come back. If it's, um, if it's just watery, that means you don't want them back. You don't want them back. It's a thing. We do that. Don't you wish you ha- we have that here in America? You know what I mean? It's like a code that we, I d- that we do. I do that you know? with coffee. <laughs> I mean, that if with I coffee.
0: want you to come back, I serve the good coffee, right? If I don't want you to come back, I serve
1: Folgers. Yes. Yes, Folgers. But to us, we don't want to be rude to people that we have in our house. We, we, we can't just blatantly tell them that, hey, I don't want you back. Just for the record, this will be a one-time thing. I don't want you back in my house. But we have those kind of visitors in our, uh, that comes to our house, don't we? People that we don't want back. People that we don't like, yeah, this will be a one-time thing. I'm never going to see you again. And we're bummed out that they know our address to the point that we <laughs> might want to move out, so they won't show up again. Hospitality in verse. Um, in verse eleven, it says, "Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God." God. When I was reading, when we were reading this verse or this. This book, one thing that struck me the most is that 11. He says, whoever does good is from God. This is the contrast. And John said, whoever does evil has not seen God. How come he didn't say, whoever does evil has, is not from God? He said in the first part, who does good is from God, but the second part, who has not seen God. I tell this to people all the time. Two reasons why you don't trust people. One is, you don't know them. And second is... You know them. (laughs) In truthfulness, in hospitality with Christians, we have to stick with that truth that they are our brothers and sisters, they are our ministers. And then in verse in verse 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. It, this good testimony didn't come from Demetrius, it came from other people about him. Testimony from everyone. When I was, uh, when I was a student, my when, whenever my, my, my friends asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I say three things all the time. I want to be a basketball player, a doctor, or a pastor. And then eventually when I started to understand what's going on in the world, I can't be a basketball player, I'm too short. Um, I can't be a doctor because, man, my, when my wife had our baby, Adeline, and she had a C-section, and the doctor said, hey, Dad, you want to see it? I said, no, <laughs> no. And then the second time, the doctor said, are you sure? I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I looked up, and I saw the baby, and her insides. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. So I became a pastor. <laughs> I feel really special now.
0: That wasn't you. a joke, but
1: uh, <laughs> pastor is a great thing. But Anyway. I became a pastor. And um, my, my friends from high school always messaged me on Facebook and said, man, you are a pastor now. I, um, you have been saying that since you were a kid, that you want to be a pastor, and now you're a pastor. Like I hear all these testimonies from people that I encountered with that I just, I didn't think it was, it was stuck in their heads, it will stick on them, that now they're like, I am so blessed that you are a pastor. We sometimes, we most of the times will hear good testimonies from other people if we don't intentionally want to inject positivity in their lives. It will just come out naturally. And we we just, sometimes you don't want to accept people. There was a story, and I told Pastor Paul about this story, and he liked it. A A man took his dog to a vet and asked him to cut off his tail completely. The vet said, I don't like that. I don't think I'm going to do that. And besides, why do you want that? Well, the guy said, my mother-in-law is coming to visit, and I don't want anything in the house to, just, to suggest that she welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I heard this from my dad. He said, the luckiest it's people... <laughs> it's funny. It's awful, but it's funny. <laughs> Which is awkward, because my wife is sitting right near my parents. Um, but I heard this dog uh, dog, not dog. I heard this story from my dad and he said, the luckiest people in the world is Adam and Eve. Do you guys know why? Because they don't have in-laws. <laughs> but hospitality applies to our brothers and sisters. We don't treat them like our um, hated in-laws like our people that um, we don't want to be around with truthfulness is walking in truth is realizing and accepting that they are our brothers and sisters that all these positive news that we're going to hear that we're doing because sometimes you know when we were kids when I was a kid if I want to do like good things around and my parents want to know that I'm doing good I will do like I will clean when they get home and I'll be so loud, like, look at me, mom, I'm cleaning, you know, like, I've been, I've been cleaning all day, I've been washing dishes all day. Like, I want to make it obvious for him. And my parents are not dumb. They know that I'm pretending to be a hardworking person. And I still do that around my wife. But the point is, <laughs> the point is they know if we're doing something good. We don't have to inject that, intentionally tell them that, hey, I give you this 50 bucks, I want you to post something on Facebook, that I gave you 50 bucks. It's just natural. It'll come out. Um, I always feel
0: hospitable, and then I hear stories from people from other cultures how they're hospitable. We did not, we did not have special plates growing up for company. Um, I mean, we've stepped it up a notch now. Um, we used to have plain white paper plates um, when I was a kid. Now we have. Heavy-duty paper plates with this really cool orange and yellow design on them. They're nice. Silver, silver, they're nice. Silver down we down. did leave them in the plastic so they're not dusty. But, <laughs> um, yeah, wow. Um, and as far as like asking people to leave and stuff, I, this was just going around Facebook the Midwest way how you're going to yeah. ask people to leave. Um, and everybody was like, oh, you know, everybody's just like, oh, you know, time to go to bed, whatever. So. Some of you know my father. When it was time for my friends to leave when I was a kid, this is how my dad would tell my friends they need to go. You all need to leave. <laughs> and they did. It's, it, yeah, Hospitality matters. So, you know, I love my father. He can be gruff sometimes. My friends would not call me at home when I was a kid, because they were worried that my dad would answer the phone and that he would be mean to them. And I was like, he's not mean. It's, you're just not used to it. Right? Yeah. So he'd answer the phone, and my room was in the downstairs, and so, phone! That, and that's how I knew I got a phone call. But, yeah. I wish I had special plates. But... So, uh, and we do receive people. Like I said, the coffee thing, that's the truth. I mean, like we have, so if you ever come to get a cup of coffee at the church, uh, you better hope I'm here. <laughs> because I keep the good coffee. Um, Pastor AJ has some K cups and something called Death Wish coffee. It's good. It's not. Um, it's not. It's strong. You, I mean, it's called death wish because you wish you were dead when you start drinking it. Um, but the fourth thing that we pull out here's the end. And remember how I said the opening and closing of these letters? Sometimes we feel like there's nothing in them at all. It's a greeting. It's a goodbye, and there's nothing else. So, but my fourth point, and this may seem redundant, but it's togetherness. Originally, all our points started with a T. And point one and four, we're going to be the same thing. But it's togetherness. This is verse 13 through 15. And John writes, I had many things to write, but I would rather not write to you with pen and ink. Instead, I hope to see you soon, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. We have so many different ways we can communicate to each other now. You know, we can we can text, we can email. If you have a phone, you can actually call somebody with it. I did not know if anybody knew that. Um, social media, um, we've got people watching online, watching the stream right now. John had two options to communicate. He could write a letter. And you think the post office takes a long time now? I'm pretty sure that the postal service, when John was writing letters was not reliable and it probably took a year or he could go visit them and talk to them so it was in person or write a letter john tells his friends here that he could he could write a letter but he'd rather not write a letter because he was looking forward to the day when he could be with his friends to speak to them in person John knew that the best way for truth and the best way for love to be shown, practiced, and taught was in community together. And he expressed that in the closing of his letter here. Many things have kept us apart. In the past year, we've had a virus. People have been busy. We have people who have uh, been hurt by church and feel like they can't come back. We have people who have grown really comfortable watching from home in their pajamas. And I get that. Pajamas are comfortable. But I want to encourage you that what John is talking about here isn't just the fact that he'd rather see people. I want to encourage you, no matter what your reasons, get back to church. If you've been hurt by the church or someone at church, don't let comfort don't let people stand between you and God. John was personally attacked by Diotrephus. But his desire was to journey and join them and speak to them in person. You're comfortable at home, you're on the couch, you're watching on your TV. Don't let comfort and convenience stand between you and real community. John could have written more letters, but his desire was to be with the church. Get back to church. We grow best, we live more abundantly, and we prosper spiritually when we are in community together. Get back to church. I don't care if you have to wear a mask to be comfortable. We have made room for that. Somebody's hurt you, I want to pray with you about that. Reconciliation is the business of the church. I want to close with this. John gives us a big question. Who are you imitating? Who are you imitating? John John wasn't the only one who implores us to follow what is good. Paul did as well. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17, it says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for if you were to have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. In Christ Jesus, I have become a father to you through the gospel. So I implore you, be followers of me. In Philippians 4.9, he says, Do these things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Who are you imitating? In, In 1993, Nike learned something shocking, that their popularity had slipped among teenage males which was their, that was their demographic. That's who they wanted wearing Nike shoes, teenage males. Reebok, in particular, had made a lot of inroads after unveiling the uh, pump sneakers. Did anybody have Reebok pumps? They were awful. Um, They were so cool, though. Whereas roughly 92% of male consumers previously preferred Nike to any other brand That number went into the mid-70s as the calendar turned into 1993. So Nike did what every other business does that drops a 20% share, and they freaked out. And their marketing division got together, their advertising division got together. Um, Their director, Scott Bedbury, said, there's a lot of pressure. We needed our edge back. We stopped being cool with teenage males. We gave a brief to Whedon and Kennedy, their advertising answers, and then we held on to our seats. And this is what they came back with. An honest, thought-provoking commercial that challenged social norms. Outspoken Phoenix Suns star Charles Barkley boldly and defiantly declared that he was not a role model and that kids should be taught to emulate their parents, not athletes or celebrities. Charles Barkley said, uh, in an interview later, he said, just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. Charles Barkley was both right and wrong. See, we don't get to choose whether or not we're role models. That's not our choice. That's the choice of the people behind us or the choice of our contemporaries. We pick our own role models. Do we always do a good job? No, we don't. But we can, as followers of Christ, as parents, our older saints in the church, we can help direct others to where those examples should come from. John gave us good examples Gaius, Demetrius, himself, Christ. But he also directed us away from the traits that we should not be imitating from Diotrephus, who are you imitating? Ephesians 1 through two says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Even when our examples fail, Our examples are going to fail us. I'm going to let you down sometime. Your leaders will let you down. Young people, your parents will let you down. Older people, your parents will let you down. Your kids will let you down. But there's no excuses because it is our responsibility to be in the Word of God. To learn, to observe, and to apply the examples that God has provided for us and to live the principles that are contained in his word. So that's my question for you today. Who are you imitating? Where is your example coming from? I'm going to pray and we're going to hand it back over to the worship team. I'm going to ask when I'm done praying if you could just... You can stand and worship with us if you need prayer these altars are open we will gladly pray with you but i want to encourage you this week as we pray and as you head out be mindful of who you are imitating be prayerful in asking for examples from god for him to direct people into your life for him to direct you into scripture where you can find that example you need. Father God, we give you all the glory today. We give you all the praise. We thank you for the word that you have given us, for the examples that are provided in that word, for the truth that we find in it, that we can walk in that truth, knowing that it is you who is guiding us. Father, I pray for those who are here today, for those who are online today, watching. God, I pray that you light fire in our lives, a fire to follow after you. Lord, for those here who are seeking godly examples, Lord, I pray that you direct people in their lives, that you direct them in your word, that they may find that. Lord, that they may be bold in seeking that out, that we may be bold in seeking out people who we can mentor and help guide, that you give us wisdom as we do that. Lord, for those who are at home watching, those who have been hurt, those who have grown comfortable, Lord, I pray that you rock their boats. Lord, I pray that you rock their spirits and get them back into community. Lord, that you get them back into your church so that they may grow, so that they may thrive, that they may be abundant spiritually, and that your name can be glorified in this. Thanks for joining us. I hope this message blessed you. Our goal is to connect you to God's people. God's Word and His mission for your life. You can find out more about us at glfirst.org Again, that's glfirst.org Hope to see you next week.
1: God bless.